Welcome to One Does Not Simply, where three friends take on the Lord of the Rings and go on some unexpected journeys. I'm Wanda. Shit, is it me next? Yes. Fuck, it has been you next thing. for seven episodes. Oh, goddammit. Can we start over? Just, no, just, just, <laughs> say, just say I'm Navia and we'll, we'll take it from here. Oh, it's so hard to cut. Okay, fine. I'm Navia. And I'm Ashani. This is episode seven. One does not simply stop being an Aragorn girl. As always, there will be spoilers for the entire Lord of the Rings extended universe ahead. With that said, let's dive in. So today we're covering chapters 10 and 11. And uh, in these chapters, we get introduced truly to Strider. He has appeared before, but now we get to know him. Uh, we find out who he really is, who, which is Aragorn. He basically talks the hobbits into letting him come along with them on their journey. And uh, it's finally revealed at the end of the chapter that he actually knows Gandalf. And uh, Gandalf has actually left the hobbits a letter explaining that he is sorry that he missed them and that Strider is a totally trustworthy person that they can take on their journey with them. Uh, in the next chapter, there is yet more walking, this time with Strider, and they start walking towards Weathertop, which is the location that Strider has selected for them to try to cross paths with Gandalf if possible. When they get to Weathertop, it's apparent that Gandalf is either already left or is has never been there in the first place, and they set up for the night and are pretty immediately set upon by the Black Riders who attack them. Frodo does the opposite of what he's supposed to do and puts on the ring, and he is stabbed in the shoulder by one of the Black Riders. So this is usually where I ask what you guys thought of these chapters, but I think there's a discussion that we've been trying to have for a while here that we'll just launch into, which is that... Strider's hot. Strider is so hot! I genuinely had a visceral reaction to the name of this chapter being Strider. I think my entire sexuality is just so inextricably linked with the concept of this character. Guys, I hate to say it, but my reaction to Strider in chapter 10 was very much not, oh no, he's hot. It was, this is my grime son and I must protect him. <laughs> What I didn't think he was mean? hot until chapter 11, and that's just how it happened for me. I mean... Wait, Ashani, can you explain? What's the, what does that term mean that you just used? Uh, it's not like a specific term. You may have heard people talk about their garbage children, their trash boys, right? <laughs> that here is a dirty disaster of a man, and he is my child, and I love him but I love him in a platonic way that is kind of like simultaneously oh you and also oh baby I just want you to have nice things but it would help if maybe you took a shower okay we we can get to our like reactions to book Aragorn in a second but I feel like we owe our readers a little bit of an explanation for why we are so obsessed with this um I just said readers. I meant listeners. We owe our listeners an explanation for why we are so obsessed with this. So we all watched Lord of the Rings in, what, middle school, maybe entering high school? Yeah, middle yeah, school. Yeah, around then. 
And there is one thing that, like, was beyond a reasonable doubt the thing that we all thought, which is that Viggo Mortensen as Aragorn slash Strider is pretty much the hottest thing that's ever happened. Somebody I follow on Twitter actually posted the the gif of him turning around when he's in Frodo's room in the Prancing Pony and said, I hate to admit it, but this is this is when I had my sexual awakening. Yeah, I think like several of the scenes from these movies are definitely part of my, my sexual awakening, like where he takes off his hood in the Prancing Pony, uh, the scene in which like he like bursts through the doors in Rohan. Like there are just moments in time where I'm like, that is my ideal man. And it's, by the way, I want to clarify, it's not Viggo Mortensen himself. I've seen other movies with him. I'm not attracted to him other than this particular character. You don't like him in Hidalgo? You're not into that? You're not into to, uh, to his character in Hidalgo? Honestly, no, not really. Like, it's very specifically tied to no, that was That was a okay. joke. That, okay, that was cool. totally a joke. <laughs> just, just checking in case you were really into his character in Hidalgo. No, it's very much like this this character in particular and like something about his like mild griminess throughout the entire movie too like i think i i thought this was just me and i was weird but this i've seen this on the internet a lot since then that like he's hotter when he's dirty i don't know why i mean because he is hotter (laughs) when he's dirty like i don't know that i would sit there and go yes this was my sexual awakening because that's a much longer and more complicated process for me. But at the same time, objectively, he's hot. He's hot in those movies. And he's hot because he is dirty. Because as soon as he gets clean at the very end of Return of the King, he is just, he exudes so much, like, dad energy. Yeah. That he's, and, like, not the good kind of dad energy. You're just kind right? of like, he why exudes, did you wash like, your hair? Yeah. Like that Aragorn. Yeah, he looks like a journalist. Has probably put on a Hawaiian shirt and like stood at a grill. <laughs> and like dirty, grimy Aragorn kicks down doors and has a ghost army. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the thing with this character for us too is like we have like in middle school slash high school, like we were, you know, like maximum 13 at this point in time. And Vigo Mortensen was like 45, I think. Like yikes! This was weird. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I don't think I had actually thought about that before. I actually, you know what? I actually do remember. I do remember looking him up on Google. This is like the early early ages of Google, and like looking up his age and just being like, "Oh, this is weird, isn't it?" Yeah, like when you realize that he was kind of the same age as our dads at the time. It was weird. Oh, yeah. did you have okay, to say I mean, it? It's true, but yeah, I mean, like. I was thinking about this as I read this chapter and like suddenly I got kind of uncomfortable thinking about like the fact that I have such a response to this character and his appearance because I like it's so closely associated with the movies in my mind that I can't not imagine Aragorn even book Aragorn as this guy who I've seen in the movies and you know immediately I was just like oh man this is so hot and then like I started thinking about why that was and I couldn't figure out like I I couldn't kind of put together what was just me kind of going through puberty at this time and being faced with this character in a series that all my friends liked and how much of it was just like no this dude's actually just really hot yeah I mean I think what I am sort of 
thinking about it as a response is two very different pieces, right? And one piece of that is, to me, it is less weird for a teenager, even a young teenager, to be attracted to an adult in a clearly fictional context. Because really, none of us were sitting there going, oh, yes, like, Aragorn could feasibly knock on my door and ask me to the middle school (laughs) dance, right? Like, there is that sense of, you know that that character is fictional. And there's a safety there of age feels, and like, age is never explicitly well, okay, it is explicitly described, but when it's explicitly described, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm 80, you know, like, or 87, whatever it actually is, right? I'm going to make a really embarrassing admission here because I know that I have the power to remove this if it's too much. Uh, Go for it. Come on. Oh, oh, you ready, Wanda? You're involved in this embarrassing admission. Oh, I know I what know what this is. <laughs> okay, listen. Wanda and I... At some point in time, before we had ever kissed a boy, may or may not have paused the movie and made out with the screen. Honestly, like, I'm trying to, like, mentally connect with the person that I was when we decided to make out with the TV <laughs> screen while watching The Lord of the Rings. I I can't really get her back, because, partly because I think that at that time, like, because like none of us have had, like, had ever had any physical contact with another person sexually it was like a lot more kosher to have uh to have that be like sort of a um a thing that you like shared among friends right and i don't really do that anymore in the same yeah way. i mean it was very innocent in retrospect right like yeah we didn't know anything this was just a representation of an ideal man in the like classic sense of just a hero and we were just like, yes, I am attracted to the personality slash very good looking face of this human. What's weird is to think that it, like making him attractive in the series was almost certainly a conscious choice by the producers. I mean, I right? mean, I think it's like, like definitely conscious that they cast like a, a good looking person. But I don't think that they could have predicted like the cult following that that was going to garner. I wonder if that was like a shocker that he was like so um, that he was such a successful sex object and that that changed anything about how Hollywood cast like hot guys. Right. Like, oh, we realized like we can go like a little bit older. (laughs) Yeah, I will say, like, it's been interesting revisiting this series recently uh, because it's been a while for me and kind of visiting it as like the adult version of who I'm attracted to and like. Especially on my latest rewatch, I was kind of like, you know what? Boromir. <laughs> like, I never, as a, as, as a 13 year old or anywhere in the multitude of times I've watched these movies since then have ever been attracted to Sean Bean as Boromir. And then suddenly this time around, I was like, Boromir's got some real energy. <laughs> He's trying his best. His best is not very good, but he's trying. It, yeah, attainably. <laughs> were you not even into Sean Bean and like the cast commentary section, like or like the 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 extras where like you see like interviews with him? I think he's like wearing like a tight Henley or something. I was like, huh. I yeah. He, he somehow like did not register to me until very recently, and I was like, I I've been missing out. 
Yeah. Okay. So so let's let's we we should we should stack them up right now. Aragorn versus Boromir. Uh, what are the what are the what are the traits? How how do they compare? You've got you've got br- brunette versus redhead. Boromir is attainable. <laughs> Boromir is also dead. Okay, not yet. <laughs> pre pre dead Boromir, please. Boromir is not weirdly long lived, so you can expect that should he not get murdered by a bunch of orcs you would have approximately the same lifespan, which is probably a plus. Boromir would never make you give up your immortality for him. (laughs) Yeah. Aragorn is, um, Aragorn is restraint and Boromir is release. (laughs) (laughs) Boromir's real good at blowing that horn. Okay. We had to go there. (laughs) Yep. We did. Aragorn is tortured and Boromir is extroverted. I'm not sure those are opposite <laughs> ends of the scale, but okay. Well, Boromir's, like, confident in himself. Aragorn's an introvert. <laughs> Aragorn does have major introvert energy. <laughs> He's like, I don't want to be king because I'm an introvert. I have too much of an introvert to, to be king. <laughs> yeah, no, it's never... thank you. It's, it's not even really... It's not really explained... Okay, actually, that's, like, my favorite... <laughs> That's my favorite parallel between Aragorn and Viggo Mortensen as he's portrayed in the cast commentary is that like Aragorn's like this like natural leader who like doesn't want to be king and and Viggo Mortensen's like also like a natural leader but you know he's like really self-effacing in like the in the extras. Yeah, he doesn't really participate in any of the like extra stuff cuz he's just kind of like, I don't know, let the others have their fun. Okay, but see to bring it back to the book for a second. I think that was when I sort of switched over from seeing Aragorn as my grime son to seeing Aragorn as someone I could potentially be attracted to was like this sense of the character type that is my type, right? And I like wrote this in my notes because I know myself. I am self-actualized enough to be like, oh, what's your type, Ashani? And I'm like, oh, my type is like this wary loner who's very competent and accidentally ends up with a whole ass found family, right? And I'm like, that's the mood. That's what I'm into. Hang on a second. Say that again. That's not where I thought you were. I thought you were going to say something about how he like knows uh, what berries are good to eat or something. (laughs) Tell me, like, can you say that again? That is part of it. That was the first half, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, this idea of somebody who is used to being on their own and in some ways prefers being either entirely or at least mostly solitary and who through sort of necessity and or innate talent is really good at a lot of things. Do love me some competence. Um, But then who also ends up like meeting people and basically going, oh, crap, <laughs> I have to protect them. <laughs> They're mine yeah. now and I have to keep them safe. Like, like I they, love that. They, they grow a heart in like a, in like a Grinch-like way or they've been like trying to, they've been, they've been sort of like, like, uh, like, like suicidal almost in like their, in like their lifestyle up until this point, just like courting danger. And then they, then they figure out that they have something that they want to protect. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even necessarily have to be that extreme, but that sense of, like, when you're on your own for a really long time and you finally find your people who are worth fighting for, I'm like, mm, yes, love it, chef's kiss. Like, that to me is mm, just so good, so good. <laughs> and so as Aragorn sort of is like, oh, like, I 
you see him kind of building connections with the hobbits. And I think in chapter 10, he's a little more, um, you know, he's sitting there going like, it's really important that you trust me. He's got this kind of like frustrated, distressed, like anxious energy, which makes sense in the context of like, I don't know if they're going to trust me, but it's really important that I'm able to help keep them safe because Frodo is carrying the ring. Um, And then in 11, that shift to, oh, we're a group now. And so we're going to function as a group and they're going to be my little hobbit squad mates. Yeah, going back to like the competence thing for a second, I... I am certainly not as aware of what my type is in uh, to the level that you are, but I will say like something that I realized reading this I am incredibly attracted to is like anybody who can kind of like fend for themselves or like, mm-hmm. you know, be outdoorsy or like handy in any kind of way. Some major DIY energy. <laughs> <laughs> Aragorn leaves leads a DIY lifestyle. <laughs> That's what the rangers he, he are. DIYs in the outdoors. Are the rangers like punks? Is that is that the impression that we get? <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like they're more like those people who never end up spending any money at Home Depot because <laughs> they're just like, oh yeah, I salvage some lumber and then I built myself everything that I could possibly need for my garden or outdoor space. Here is the cabin that I constructed. Here is a garden trellis, you know? The rangers are like those like buy nothing people who they they're like they like spend like all their time on like like buy nothing forums. Yeah. To some extent I feel like I've been finding this quality occasionally in my husband where he just wants to like do things himself. Like, he's just like, no, I can fix this thing. We don't need to call someone or we don't need to go to the store to get this thing. We can just craft it together out of these two other things. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty into this. Yeah, you like the self-sufficiency specifically of sort of a broader competence. Like, you're into that. Definitely, yeah. Which begs the question of why Wanda is into Aragorn. What about him is your type? (laughs) I think it's that he is going to be king. (laughs) Power. (laughs) You know, that's fair. Wanda's like, excuse me, I would like to be a monarch and also have, like, basically unlimited resources, which, you know what? In this year of 2020, I feel that. Yeah, I just like the I like the resources associated with Aragorn. He's just a power figure. No, I um oh my, I would say it's the um it's that he's uh he's an interdisciplinary character. He he seems to be uh he seems to be well versed in a lot of different subjects. He knows about uh he knows about hunting, tracking, also knows about history. Also a good fighter, can wield fire. Um I like someone who is, uh, who's clearly like has that, that much diversity of skill that he's pretty, uh, pretty applicable, like in any situation. Um, So you like everything about him? No, she likes that he's good at everything. (laughs) Yeah. I I will say I, I was really into the, like the quiet confidence that he has, you know, where he just like knows he's good at everything, but he's quiet about it. 
that's definitely a book Aragorn quality too. Do you have like a citation for that? Yeah, like when he, when they're just like, you know, talking about how they got incredibly lost last time they went off the road and he's just like, don't worry, you're with me now. You're not going to get lost anymore. But I also like that he's willing to admit when he makes mistakes, because when they get to Weathertop um, and they're standing there looking out later, he says, oh, we I shouldn't have let all three of us stand there for so long. I was careless. And now the riders have spotted us and are probably on their way. And he doesn't say it in so many words. Right. But that's the implication. But I like that he's able to sort of show some vulnerability, too, and not in the sense of like, oh, that's my type. I love a man who's vulnerable. Um, But just in the characterization sense, I like that he gets to be a little more nuanced than here is this fully heroic character who never has any doubts except for accepting his eventual kingship. It's, hey, this is a, a person who does sometimes make mistakes and does sometimes wonder if he's made the right choices in little ways, too. And that made him feel much more relatable and human than I think in the way that like we've already commented on some of the other characters getting simplified a little bit for the movies. Um, Aragorn kind of gets simplified a little bit into a more classically heroic character in the movies and I like the nuance in the books. I will say like something that kind of annoyed me about his character to you know break up our Aragorn circle jerk for a second (laughs) Um, is just that he started out kind of being very much in that in that like Gildor category of just like speaking in riddles and and trying to get Frodo to reveal things but without saying anything about who he was and and like not telling them that he knew Gandalf and all this stuff and I was just like why like we could have just bypassed this entire chapter if you had begun this conversation with hey Gandalf sent me I'm here to take you to Rivendell (laughs) like I appreciate that he later on becomes a more straightforward character of just like okay I'm gonna take care of you now but that initial intro was a lot less straightforward than I needed it to be. Yeah, that's definitely valid. It was a sense of, like, why are you doing this? You're making your life harder for yourself. You're so invested in having them trust you, but you're also sitting there, like, actively being a little untrustworthy. Also, shout out to, like, the massive diss he delivers to Parliament Butterbird. I didn't like that. I was like, here's this dude who's, like, genuinely just trying to help, and he's got a lot on his plate, and he didn't know how important this was, and you didn't have to be a dick about it. Like, I laughed so hard. So, for context, he says something like, you're a man who only knows your name because you hear other people calling it to you all the time. I mean, isn't that everybody, though? Oh, man. It was just, like, total KO to Barlam and Butterbur. <laughs> <laughs> He's been KO'd. <laughs> you gotta say it the right way, though. Come on, do the Mortal Kombat voice. What? You do it. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. You know, like in video games, it's KO. Well, I finish him. Oh, all right. Thank you. I'll, I'll insert that. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Total knockout. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, he was kind of annoying in his introduction. I will say, like, finally we get to Gandalf, like, actually having had a plan. 
like it didn't go perfectly because Barlaman forgot to deliver this letter, but we finally see the reappearance of like competent Gandalf who sort of at least tried to set something up here. Yeah. It didn't work, but it was a good effort. Yeah, so uh I, I think I I may have skipped over this in my synopsis, but again for context, Gandalf leaves a letter with Barlaman Butterbur that he is supposed to take to the Shire and deliver to Frodo. And it basically explains to Frodo, hey, like, I need you to leave the Shire right away. I'm going to try to meet up with you, but I've gotten, you know, a little bit sidetracked with some other things that I'm taking care of. But I'm going to meet you at, like, I think he says at Rivendell. And he suggests that uh, that he stays in Bree because Barlaman is a cool guy and that's also where he reveals that strider is trustworthy um and Barlamin just like straight up forgets to deliver this letter so after aragorn like reveals himself uh by the way quick note i had forgotten that aragorn already has his sword narsil at this point um because it's such a big deal in the movie for them to like for him to like reject the sword and for them to reforge it later and kind of foist it upon him but in this, they already have... He already has it, and he just has this, like, broken sword. Um, also... Yeah, it's like a vintage thing. Yeah. Shameless plug. I have a band. It's called Shards of Narsil. You should listen to it. It's a God, you really... You had, to, you had to plug it on the show. Did I bring up Narsil just to do this? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> well, it does kind of beg the question of... Aragorn is so convinced that he would be a good guide and protector to the hobbits, but his one sword is broken. He doesn't have another one, as far as I can tell. Like, yeah. that's his weapon. Is he's like, Maybe he has a bow with him because he talks about hunting. Maybe. But, like, his close-range weapon is entirely in pieces. And I'm like, buddy... Maybe carry Narsil around for the symbolism, but maybe also have a working sword? Do you get the sense that he's, like, using it as a weapon, though? I got the impression that, like, this is kind of just his proof of identity in case he ever needs to be like, oh, and also I am the one true king. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I fully think he's carrying it around just for sort of the symbolic gesture, but then why isn't he also carrying around a sword as a weapon? I like, mean, why doesn't he have a backup to actually stab things with. Well, I, the, the shards of Narsil are sharp, right? Maybe he's a pacifist. Yeah, but if you're like a ranger out in the wilderness and you come upon, you know, anything from a very large bear to <laughs> agents of evil, do you really want to be fighting somebody with like a third of a sword? Well, like, <laughs> like, like you guys, like, remember, like, how in the in the in the movies, um, Saruman builds a bomb to blow up Helm's Deep. It's like, yes. this, like, it's like this like cute thing where it's like, oh, it's like the first bomb. Uh, maybe Aragorn has a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Tolkien, like, show us the receipts. Yeah, he's like, Here, here's my proof of being the one true king, and also here's my gun. <laughs> It's like a rocket launcher. <laughs> yes, I love this. Okay, new headcanon. Aragorn just secretly has a Glock the entire time. He does never use it, but he's got one just in case. <laughs> yeah. He's always like, he's like using like berries as bullets and stuff like that. He's like, this berry you can use as a bullet. No, I'm just imagining like w before they know, you know how like in, in the Council of Elrond, like Gimli tries to swing his axe at the ring. I'm just imagining Aragorn like trying to shoot it. <laughs> he like shoots the ring. 
possibilities are endless. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so something else. Um, uh, something else about Aragorn I didn't know. Um, redefined canon for me in these chapters, which is that I guess he's related to Arwen, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about this because I think it's a really interesting story. So um, they're like basically sitting around a campfire at some point and being like, tell us a story. Um, and Aragorn basically tells this like tragic tale of this man, Baron, who fell in love with this elf maiden, uh, Tenuviel or Luthien. Um, and she fell also in love with him. But before they can actually be together forever, um, he's like tragically killed by an evil wolf. And... Um, at that point, Luthien basically chooses to be mortal in order to, like, also die with him. Um, and it is also, Im- like, it is also implied that they have, a t- that they have children. So what we have is basically Elrond, who is Arwen's dad, uh, being descended from one half of this line and Aragorn being descended from the other half. Um, something that's really interesting here that I found out kind of recently that I thought was fascinating is, so this, this half elven line, it's basically when Aragorn and Arwen fall in love and Arwen decides to be mortal with Aragorn, all elves cannot make this choice. It is particularly this line of descendants that is half man and half elf that can choose whether to be immortal or mortal. And that's why she actually has that choice. Interesting. Gosh, you know so much more about this, like the lore than the rest of us. As your friendly neighborhood lore keeper. uh... (laughs) (laughs) I definitely found this. I mean, that is really interesting. And I think it is something that in thinking about that choice, something that I hadn't realized until rereading was that it's not even the choice to be mortal. It's sort of the really painful part of that is almost what happens afterwards. Because, of course, we know that elves can be killed. Um, And so even the quote unquote immortal elves um, can die and then sort of go on to their elvish afterlife. But in sort of reading between the lines on this um, and then doing some supplementary research on the wiki because I was like, what's going on here? Um, It really sounds like the choice she makes is not just to die of eventual old age, but to take on the afterlife of humans Mm -hmm, and so to end up in whatever comes after life she's going to go where baron goes but what that means is that the elves who otherwise know exactly where they're going when they die and know that they're going to see all of their elvish friends and family there she's giving that up right and we don't necessarily think of elves in like a familial sense i think they do a little bit of a better job of this in the movie with the connection that elrond and arwen have but really like she is essentially sacrificing everybody that she knows for this one mortal man. Yeah. I don't know that I would make the same choice in her shoes. I mean, I think it's something that yeah. it would be easy if it was just, Oh, well, I, I choose to live a, a shorter period of time on this earth. And then when we die, we all end up in the same place anyways, but to say, no, mm-hmm. this is, it for eternity. I have these, you know, 
150 years or whatever it is, if even if you're sort of longer lived than the average human, and then I'm never going to see these people again. The really interesting thing, too, is it's implied that she makes this choice after Baron dies. Like, it's not that she has given up her immortality to be with him in life. It's that she does it to be with him in death. Right, because it's like he dies and then through some slightly hand-wavy whatever, they get to spend a brief period of time together alive again, and then they both pass on into whatever comes after Mm -hmm. out of this world, right? Right. I think, like, this story kind of provided me that, that stark, like, what does it actually mean to accept this mortality of another person. Because, you know, she's not familiar with that idea. She's not like, oh, everybody in my life dies anyway, because they don't, right? She is an elf, and she knows elves, and they're all living forever. She's never had to, like, reckon with this idea of, of loving and worrying for someone that, like, can die. Do you think that if you were, if you're, if you're immortal, is it easier to choose um, to become mortal than it is for a mortal person to just accept being mortal? I don't like know. If, you, if you're immortal, do you have a concept of what it means to die? Probably, right? I mean, obviously, well, unless there's something that one of you has just not shared. We have all always been mortal. <laughs> so I don't know that we can necessarily say for sure what it would be like to be immortal and have to make that choice. I think it's true that most people are exposed to death in some form at a relatively early age, whether that's, you know, the loss of a grandparent or a much older relative, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully in the sense of much older and not losing somebody who's who you weren't expecting to lose um, or a pet or even just kind of seeing it on TV. I mean, Bambi's mom. Right. And <laughs> so I think there's that exposure to death and like those conversations about it. <laughs> Maybe it's Bambi's mom. <laughs> I feel like I have more of a reaction to or, or more of a horrified reaction to the idea of becoming immortal than the other way around. Like, I guess if if I was in this position of making this choice, mm-hmm. and if if it was like, okay, either I can, like, I am Luthien and I can choose immortality, or, and I know he doesn't actually have this choice in this series, but imagine if Baron could make the alternate choice, right, and he could become immortal. Twilight style, you know. Uh, (laughs) um, Baron gets bit by one of those Middle Earth vampires. (laughs) Um, And if I had that choice, like, I think I would rather be in her position and be like, I am giving up forever to be with this person for some period of time versus like, I I don't know what's coming in forever you know like i don't know what that even means i have no way of wrapping my head around like the idea of of even living forever let alone being with this person forever like that's kind of like it's a much bigger commitment right it's that that's kind of like more horrifying to me (laughs) which is why in twilight he asked her to marry him first before she becomes immortal 
Right, right. Because, like, you know, marriage is the real test of <laughs> being together forever. No, but I feel like it depends on what kind of, like, what your rules of immortality are, too. Because I think if it's, hey, you're immortal and you can't die. Mm-hmm. Not, oh, you won't die, but you can't die. That definitely changes the conversation, right? That if you're sort of sitting there going, what happens at the heat death of the universe? Am I just going to be stuck floating through the void forever because I literally cannot die? That sounds awful. I've always had this question about elves <laughs> at the moment of the heat death of the universe. I don't I don't know if this is a, is a common thing. <laughs> but also I think it's an, it's an important clarification that in the Tolkien verse... Elves are immortal in the sense that they, like, with no intervention, live forever, but they can be killed. Right. And then when they're killed, they still go to sort of the same general location as elves who choose to... Like, there's a whole thing, right, about, like, the elves who choose to pass through the Grey Havens, and there's, like, a separate hall for the spirits of the dead, but eventually they get sort of put into bodies again and whatever, right? What kind of immortality is that? You basically just get to hang out with your elf buds like for the rest of time. <laughs> I think that we should talk about the the um, the uh, sort of experiential implications of that, like what it means to be an elf if uh, if being killed in Middle Earth just means that you go somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, well, what I thought yeah. was really interesting about that was that what happens for humans is very specifically like they pass out of Arda, which is the world. But that's not what happens to elves. So elf heaven is basically still on the same, as far as I can tell, is like basically still on the same physical plane as the rest of Middle Earth. Although it does, like, they, Valinor is also where the, like, quote-unquote gods of this universe reside, yeah. right? So they're going to, like, a different plane, kind of. Right. Like, their existence itself is on a spiritual plane, but the physical location is still somehow in this world of Arda. Yeah, and it's implied to be, like, better than Middle-earth because, like, the gods live there. Yeah. I think what we can take away from this existentially is that Tolkien was not a theologist. Uh, (laughs) He was a a language guy. (laughs) And so... The theology is a little weird. So I think at this point we should kind of maybe do a a quick fire like round robin of just other things from these chapters that we we thought were interesting. Um, Shani, do you want to start? No, but okay. Um, <laughs> I think something that I really noticed in these chapters was certain sort of writing choices that Tolkien made and I don't know that I agree with all of them because there were a couple points where I was like it's weird that Strider is suddenly referring to himself in the third person he hasn't done that before and he's not going to do it later on but just like these three pages Strider is referring to himself in the third person but then there were other things where I was like oh I want to track when the narration changes over from calling him Strider to calling him Aragorn. Because we've already had both names introduced to us, but the narration is still calling him Strider. So I'm going to keep an eye on that. That's my quick fire thing. Wanda, quick fire takes. So at the very end of these chapters, 
they're attacked by the black riders and Frodo is hurt. And then he, at the moment when he is injured by one of the Nazgul, he actually strikes out at one of the Nazgul with his knife and he cries, Elbereth Gilthoniel. And I forget. So who are those, who are those characters again? Does anybody, Navia? Do you please, can you help pause me with that? Elbereth has actually already been mentioned once. Um, so when they meet the party of elves walking through the woods uh, several chapters back, the song the elves are singing is about Elbereth. So that's the one who was described as Snow White. Uh, and it's sort of implied that this is somebody who is either one of the early elves um one of the more powerful and renowned ones or somebody who is one of the pseudo gods of this world. Uh, okay. Uh, have wikied. So Elbereth and Gilthoniel are two names for the same person. Um, and she is also referred to as Varda and she is one of the like gods of this universe. Okay. She's a, she's a Valar. So, so not an elf, but a god. Yes. Got it. Was that was that your quick fire? <laughs> yeah that 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 was that was that was my that was I mean that's just a question I had I I didn't bother to like look back in the in the text. Um, I had a busy week. Uh, I had a lot <laughs> I was going on, on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I was on Facebook. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was just reading like Humans of New York. I couldn't go back and like check who Elbreth was. Okay, my uh, my quick fire from this chapter is um, I want to give a quick shout out to one of my favorite poems, which I think a lot of people uh, really love, and a lot of people don't maybe know that this is from Lord of the Rings, but it's the poem that it goes: "All that is gold does not glitter; not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither; deep roots are not reached by the frost." I remember like just being really drawn to this verse when I first read it and it kind of speaking to my wanderlust a lot um at the time but um I was just wondering if like you guys had any similar either reactions to this poem or like feelings about it I just remember this poem like showing up on like a bunch of those like like uh like merchandise at like REI and other like outdoor stores which I yeah. think I think that kind of I think that kind of like ruined the I think that kind of ruined the mystery uh, for me almost almost immediately. <laughs> I was like, oh no, like okay, this isn't like this thing that like I thought that was cool from these books like can't possibly be cool anymore because it's been used as like a um, as like a as like a branding thing for like outdoor gear. Totally. I thought like when I was like when I was little, I thought that like people just enjoying going hiking because it was like. And, and like approximating like like a Lord of the Rings experience by going hiking was just like the lamest thing ever. Um, later, I I think I got really into that, but I was not into it at first. I just remember being really sad when I found out like what a cliche it was. <laughs> Wait, why why is that why is that why is that sad to you? I don't know because I thought it was this like special poem to me, and then I just started seeing it everywhere, like you know, in REI merchandise and in like that's so hard, yeah, yeah the stupid like live, laugh, love style, like <laughs> that kind of thing. And I was just like, oh no, do I like one of these kinds of things? 
I think the hard oh, part about no. that is seeing it on the merchandise. Because to me, the idea of seeing other people, like having it resonate with other people is not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself. Because it's like, oh, yeah, other people feel the same way about this. Once it starts getting put on like Instagram posts and like marketing banners, yeah, yeah. then it loses a little bit uh, of that charm. Yeah, I, I think it just like went from something that like was special and resonated with me to being something where I was just like, oh, this was like specifically crafted to resonate with people. <laughs> no, I think you still get to be into it though. It's a, it's a beautiful poem. And I think that, uh, it really speaks a lot to, to, um, what Tolkien was trying to inspire when he wrote the series. Mm -hmm. Totally. I think that's a good place to wrap up for today. Thanks for listening to One Does Not Simply. This episode was edited by Ashani. You can find us on Twitter at ODNSPod and on Tumblr at One Does Not Simply Pod. Special thanks to Andrew, Sneha, and all of our listeners for joining us on this journey. Wanda's like, guys, I think we need to podcast break up. Before we even drop the podcast. We're Ouch. having a Britney Spears 72-hour Vegas marriage, okay? That would be really tragic. Okay. I had to burp. Now I'm recording.